The, uh, a lot of pastors, you know, they take what they call a sabbatical during the summer where they'll take two months and not preach. And uh, I, just, I just want you to know that it was not a sabbatical. <laughs> uh, and so just, just to give you a, a quick overrun, because there's a lot that's happened in two months, uh, not just with me and my family, but in the world. Uh, you know, my, my wife was diagnosed with uh, cancer and ended up having to go through surgery. And that kind of began this whole process of like, okay, we're going to take a little bit of time. We're going to make sure that she's healthy, which uh, praise God, uh, you know, that all the cancer has been taken care of and they have no, no concerns there. Um, but we had this like cascade of things that some were just weird and some were terrible that continued to happen. Uh, uh, two weeks after the surgery, so we got um, the, uh, oh, what, what do you call it when they, um, they look at the uh, tissue? The biopsy. You know, that came back and they said, you know, everything's good. It had not spread, blah, 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 and you're good to go. And then after the second week, she gets a phone call, and they're like, hey, I hate to make this phone call to you, but it turns out that the, the technician that did the biopsy made it up. They didn't actually do the biopsy. They just wrote on the paper that everything was good and sent it in. And we're both like, huh? <laughs> right? Now, I know, I know. I know, you might be thinking to yourself, Jim, why would you have a hard time trusting the medical community sometimes, right? I'm just kidding. Her doctor's been amazing. But uh, so it turned out that the cancer had gotten a little bit aggressive and spread. They still got all the margins, still nothing to worry about. But when they went back and did the actual biopsy, it was like, hey, it, this was a little bit more aggressive than we realized. And so, you know, you're like, okay, well, that's, that's odd, right? And then we're in the middle of, we've sold our house, we're living in a rental, we're trying to buy a house, and uh, the, like, the, and this was on Fridays, honestly, it was every Friday, so we got to where we were like, what's going to go wrong on Friday? Um, we get a call from the mortgage uh, company saying that um, they accidentally deleted our mortgage and we needed to start all over. And I was like, you accidentally did what? And they said, yeah, somehow somebody went in and said that you didn't want the mortgage, so they closed it out. And we were like, yeah, we definitely want the mortgage. We do not want to live in this rental house. So we started that all over, and, uh, uh, and so weird things, and then sad things. Carmen's sister passed away, uh, and uh, Carmen was not able to make the trip there, and so, you know, that was just a really difficult couple of weeks, and in the process of that, we did end up uh, being able to close on our house, and the house that we bought needed a lot of work, and so we were, we'd made a time frame, a time schedule, we're going to get in there, knock it out, everything's going to be okay, and then Carmen and I both end up with COVID, and uh, day seven, we're both like feeling good, we've been out walking in our, you know, on our driveway, just trying to beat this thing, and then that night, I end up with 104 fever, and, it, and it, it basically sticks with me for two days. I develop pneumonia. I go to the ER. And I honestly, and, and all I can do is be honest with you, and, and you can hate me for that, but there's just so much information out there, right? I mean, Israel says that 70% of people with the vaccine are the ones in the hospital, and America says that 90% of the people in the hospital are the people without vaccines. And I'm laying in bed thinking to myself, I'm just going to die. 
I literally thought, I'm going to die. There's, everybody is saying something totally different. And, and you might have the truth that you believe, right? One of my strengths that turns into a weakness when you're laying on your bed with pneumonia is, is that I'm a learner. And so, like, I read it all. Like, and, 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 and when I say I read it all, like, like, my favorite news commentator can say something, but I want to go and read the medical journal report. I appreciate their opinions, right? And so I, I'm just consuming information all the time. And so I'm literally laying there thinking, like, there's just no truth. I don't know what to do. And I got into a really bad place. Like, I was, I was crying. Like, I, was, I really felt sick and felt hopeless. And uh, went to the ER and, uh, I mean... I mean, I could barely walk, and uh, the ER doctor was like, you know, why are you here? And I was like, I'm sick. Yeah, but why'd you come to the emergency room? Well, you go to a doctor's office, and you tell them you've got COVID, and then they yell until you're out of the office. Nobody will see you, and everyone's saying go to the ER. What? They shouldn't be doing that. Okay, but they are doing that. They're telling you to go to the ER, so I'm really sick. I can't break this fever, so I'm here. And he's like, he's like, well, you probably didn't need to come, but we'll do an x-ray anyway. Comes back in, hey, you've got pneumonia. And I, it's just real casual. And I was like, and what does that mean? He was like, you're sick. And I was like, <laughs> I know, right? Now, I get it. I'm not, I am, we are so for doctors. We believe that just like God can call somebody to be a pastor, God calls people to be doctors and attorneys. So, so I can make light of some of these things. And this is not me going like, I have some disrespect for the office. In those moments, though, those are like really emotionally raw experiences that you're having. And uh, so I got home and I felt pretty hopeless. Like I was thinking like, I won't hug my kids again. Like right now I've got this pneumonia. I don't know what to do. And, uh, uh, you know, a friend of ours said, hey, long time ago, when you would get pneumonia, you used to boil a pot of water, put some scents in it, put a towel over your head, and breathe it in. And they sent that text message, and my wife was like, we should try that. And I was like, like I could barely move, but I knew that I, I loved my wife, and I didn't want to tell her no. Um, and, 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 and to be honest, like, I, I'm just trying to be honest with you for a moment. Like, like, I did not want to be so sick that I did die and that I'm sitting here being mean to my wife in the last moments. That's really what was going through my mind. It's like, I'll just do whatever you want. Like, I feel that bad. And uh, so I got up and I went and sat over and I got into a coughing fit that was so terrible, not to be uh, gross, but I, I started coughing up blood. And that was scary you know what i'm saying but they told me if my oxygen didn't go below 89 not to come back to the emergency room and my oxygen didn't go below 89 but that was the tie that was the moment it all turned and i i think that um maybe getting that out of my system combined with all the prayers i mean it was a rough couple of weeks uh getting back on my feet and getting things back together but uh we've been we've been through some real stuff over the last couple of months and then you tether that with what's going on in the world, right? I mean, it, it, it has been crazy. Um, uh, we, are, we are seeing things that, are, that do not make sense, right? And, and it makes me go back to this moment a few years ago. So our outreach center, you heard us talking about RED a moment ago. Um, it operates out of here now. Um, but for the longest time, it operated off of 41st and Montgomery. Now, th that area over there is being bought up and turned into higher-end apartments. And so um, it's, 
by their own admission, they call it gentrification. That's what they're trying to do in the neighborhood, the people who bought it. And so they did not want us there. But before they bought it, um, there was a club uh, across the street. State law says it had been closed down. Uh, it had been closed down because somebody was executed in the parking lot. You know, that'll kind of do it, right? Um, that'll get you into a little bit of trouble. Uh, and they were trying to reopen. State law says that you can't, re you can't have a bar or a club within 300 feet door-to-door uh, -door of a church. So legally, they could not reopen. And we were talking to people in the neighborhood, and they didn't want it reopened. And they were giving us a plethora of reasons. Uh, some, some I just can't go into. They were really, really vile. Um, they just did not want this place to reopen. And we said, well, we'll do a petition. And they said, no, 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 we can't put our name on a petition because if our name's on the peti petition, people will show up and threaten us. Now, this is right here in our community. And so we hired an attorney. We went and tried to fight this thing. And this is what was mind-blowing for me, right, is that um, we lost. And it was a very clear, it wasn't, it wasn't a debate on what the law said. It was just a matter of whether they were going to enforce it or not. And they decided they weren't. They were going to do their own thing. And I'm sitting here thinking to myself, like, this was a slam dunk, right? Like, this was for this community. And not one person who voted for it on the city council lives in that community. You know what I'm saying? So it doesn't affect their kids. Uh, but what blew my mind was uh, we walked out into the lobby, and the whole group that was fighting for the club to be there, they were gathered in a circle dancing and praising Jesus. And knowing that what they were opening back up was going to be a place that was going to draw in the, 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 the lowest of low lives. Um, and since then, there's been stabbings and prostitution and drugs. And, but they were out there praising Jesus. And I'm going to tell you, it's been several years. I don't understand. I don't get it. I don't get how divided, not not our, our nation and our world is, but our churches, that, that what one group sees as, you know, championing sin, another group is seeing as, you know, accepting life and the way that people are going to live. And so laying around for the last two months, some being sick, some taking care of my wife and watching what's happening in the world, this has been a really heavy reflection on me. And uh, for me. And, and so we have started 1 Corinthians, right? And I haven't preached at all in this. Uh, they started this after uh, I ended up out of the pulpit. And uh, <laughs> this is Paul writing to the church in Corinth, okay? Now, last week I was thinking about preaching, but I just, my lungs just, I, I was afraid I'd get halfway through and just be out of breath and coughing. So, I asked uh, Caleb to go ahead and cover last Sunday. Hey, can I just say, how awesome is it that we have so many good teachers in this church that have been able to carry the load? Um, I have friends that pastor churches, and they have nobody. So when they miss, sometimes they just don't do church. You know what I'm saying? But we've been blessed. So, um, so, so I'm preparing, and uh, I was telling my kids, I was like, hey, guys, first time back in, since June 27th. And you guess what I get to talk about, right? All right, sex. Let's go. 
1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. You know, Pastor, Pastor Reuben, I don't know where you're at, but he said there's going to be some stuff on sexual immorality. I'm going to let Pastor Jim get to it. I think he was prophesying, like, when it gets heavy, he's going to be there. I thought about just skipping it. I was like, let's just go to chapter 7. That's what other churches do, right? They just, it's like you're looking through their sermon log, and it's like, they went from 1 Corinthians chapter 4 to 7. Why? Oh, yeah, they don't want to talk about this. All right. So uh, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans for a man has his father's wife. Like, we're going all the way today. And you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit and as if present have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing when you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord your boasting is not good do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reveler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders uh, is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. So uh, I, I guess if I was going to give a, a title to today's message, it would be the world is crazy, right? And you're thinking like present tense, and I'm going to point to being it's been crazy, all right? And, and I know like it seems to just get crazier and crazier and crazier. But I want, to, I want you to have a, a little bit of, of peace in your heart. It is not exclusively your fault that the world is falling apart, right? It started falling apart long before you came on the scene. Now, this is a result of sin, right? Now, I think it's fair that as we dive into this, that if you're a, if you're a guest here or you're new to the church, that you understand something that, that we hold to be really uh, important here, and that is that we believe that the Word of God is God's breathed Word, right? Now, you might go, well, Pastor Jim, of course, it's a Christian church. No, 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 no. You cannot take that for granted in today's society. There are loads of churches across the world right now that see the, the scriptures as being man's interpretations of their encounters with God and that at best it's a good book to kind of lean into. 
all right? But we don't believe that. We believe that this is God's word, Genesis to Revelation, telling an overarching story of a God who loves his children and has sought to redeem them, put a plan in motion, and an enemy that is trying to prevent us from being redeemed. And we believe that Jesus is soon returning. That's fundamental to our faith. So as we dive into this, we're going to begin here in verse 1, and I want to just break down some things that are happening. So uh, it is actually reported. Now, this is, this is a, kind of an important part of, of the entire text here in these 13 verses, is this idea of actually. And when we go into the Greek, this means to, that it is completely, it is everywhere. What Paul says is, I'm not in Corinth. I'm not near Corinth at the moment, right? But it is actually, the word is spreading about what you are doing. And it uses this, it is actually reported. Now, reported, this is not some, some trick word for us. It'll make a little bit more sense in a moment when, when, when we get into some, some verses that are coming up. But what is it that is, that is being reported? That, what is the word that is spreading across the land? That there is sexual immorality among you. So who's he talking to? He's talking to the church at Corinth. He is not talking, right, to the community center. Okay, he's not talking to a group that has met at the Civic Center for a concert. He is talking to a group of people who claim to be followers of Christ. They're supposed to be leaning into the teachings of the scripture and loving the Lord. Now, this is something that I think is just really important to know. And we have pointed this out before. When Paul is writing these letters, right, to these different churches, he is writing them to Christians, right? He is not writing these letters to the churches so that they'll go out and read them to people on the street. No, no, no. He is trying to get to you, right? You're sitting in the seat. You've shown up. You're, you're hearing what's being said. You're the audience, not that person that you work with who's crazy, not that family member that's running from God. It's you, the one that says, hey, I'm a follower of Christ. I'm a believer I want to be a part of this community. And he says that among you, there is sexual immorality. So what does sexual immorality in the Greek mean? It is the act of judging another because of their personal desires. No, that's not what it is. It is fornication or whoredom, right? Those are really strong words. It's, it is quite literally exactly what it sounds like. It doesn't need some exposition broke down on it. Sexual immorality is participating in some type of sexual lifestyle not prescribed by God. Now, let me tell you something that's really fascinating, because I I get this. Like, my kids say, you know, Dad, why why do you talk about this so much, right? Okay, and I'm like, because the Bible talks about it so much. And if you're a church that teaches verse by verse, you just I can't do anything about it, right? And, and, and if you think about this for a moment, right? We come here in Genesis. God's creating the heavens and the earth. Genesis chapter 3, there's the great fall. And what does God say? God says, hey, listen, through your seed, right, there is going to come one that will crush the head of the serpent. The serpent will strike his heel. There's a prophecy that's given, right? And what is it following, It is following the seed, right? A descendant that will come through what? Intimacy. In case you did not know where kids came from, that is a small group. We don't do that from the platform, all right? Okay? So so if you're the enemy, 
right? If you're whatever you want to call him, right? Satan, Lucifer, we've talked about the fact that those are, those are names that we kind of have prescribed to whoever this serpent is, right? And you have just been told, hey, your ultimate end is going to come through this bloodline, then what do you do? You try to corrupt the bloodline. Because if you can corrupt the bloodline, right, then you can prevent the one that would come and destroy you from showing up. So what happens in Genesis 6? Genesis 6, God looks on humanity and says that his heart is grieved to the point where he, w- he wished that he had not made man. Right? That was the desire of God's heart in that moment. Why? Because sexual immorality was rampant. What was happening? It talks about crazy stuff, right? The sons of God saw that the daughters of man were beautiful and took unto them their own and bore unto them Nephilim. And like, like that's a Lord of the Rings part four story for you, okay? All right. Uh, we'll let Amazon tackle that in their next little film series. But the world goes crazy, right? Now, you show up here in the New Testament, and Jesus comes on the scene. And what, what do the Gospels do for us, right? The Gospels make sure we understand that Jesus isn't just some man. And that Mary isn't just some woman. But they are, that, that Mary and Joseph both, right, can trace their lineage back to be, in essence, pure blood. To be of relations that did not operate in this this type of sexual immorality. And so Jesus comes exactly as God prophesied, as he instructed in Genesis chapter 3. He said that Jesus would come. That's exactly how Jesus shows up on the scene, right? It's one of those prophecy fulfillments that makes us go, yeah, Jesus was the Son of God. So, sexual immorality is a it's a it's a big deal to god and i get it it is not a big deal to our culture it is not a big deal within our churches it is something that makes us uncomfortable right we don't want to talk about it because of the society that we live in but check this out he says that there is sexual sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans so he says like like this isn't like Okay, first of all, this gives you a little bit of hope. There seems to be some type of like pie chart or, you know, judgment chart on different types of sexual immorality, right? So some is bad, some is really bad. Some is like, man, not even the pagans do this stuff. You know what I'm saying? And, and so who are the pagans? Well, the pagans, these are those that were not of the Jewish race. And it's, a, it's, an, it's an ethnos type of title okay so meaning that the jews followers of god that is they are the children of god they've been set apart from within the 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 jewish race right jesus shows up christianity is born it is it goes outside of that jewish uh group of people and begins to take people from the outside but throughout history you had the jews serving the one true god and you had all these other ethnos out there right the pagans this group of people regardless of how they identify themselves they all were serving fake gods and given over to depravity and they did some crazy stuff and so he's making this comment that the pagans don't even participate in this type of sexual immorality. That it has found its way not into your city, but into your church, right? And so the, the, the best idea I could come up with would be like, you know, 
getting a tattoo, right? And getting so many tattoos that this guy looks at you and says, you got too many tattoos, right? You've gone too far, right? You've gotten one too many, and this guy now is the one casting judgment on you, okay? That's the image that Paul is making. He's like, you, you, this guy's telling you you've gone too far, right? You, you've done too much. Now, what is this? He says that you that, that is not even tolerated among the pagans, for a man has his father's wife. Now, I know what you're thinking. Well, that is something that at least we don't do, right? That is something that this world doesn't participate in. New York Post had this uh, article on there about a New York parent seeks okay to marry their own adult child. They're suing the state of New York right now. All right, so this is from April 10th, 2021, in case you can't read it. There is a lawsuit that is going to go before their court system so that a parent can marry their child, right? And you would say, oh, well, that's a, an exclude. That's kind of an odd thing. I don't even want to send you down the rabbit hole that Google will take you down of lawsuits like this all over the world right now as people are beginning to say, literally, love is love. It's time to stop the bigotry. Who are you to say who I love? Those are really strong words. They're actively happening in our society. Now, think about this. Not even the pagans would participate in it. So what does that say about the world outside of the church today that there are people who are advocating for it, right? So we live in a world, we live in a place that is dark, and we are in dark times. So, uh, uh, look here, and in, in, uh, I want to flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 because there becomes this, this argument uh, that is made uh, using text like this uh, to try to argue that God doesn't really care about this sexual immorality argument. And so they say, well, if we believe in the Bible— track with me here for a moment, then we have to believe in, if you're going to say, well, I believe in chapter 5, then I've got to believe in chapter 11. Now, in chapter 11, verse 14, it says, do not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace for him, but if a woman has long hair, it is her glory, for her hair is given to her for a covering. And so, the, 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 there's a, there's this, there are I'm just telling you, there, I, I keep talking about the fact that there's a divide within the church, right? As soon as these topics come up, people start going, well, that's not what the Bible really says. Well, and if the Bible says that, then you've got to think about what the Bible says here. And uh, I was talking with my daughter this week. Uh, she, is, uh, she, has debate, she has a debate project that she's been working on. And she was talking about how easy it is to look up and find the information you want. It's super simple. Like, I can just find the information I want because somebody's written it. And I can cite it, source it, and go, look, it's written right there. They said it, and so now I can use it. And it doesn't even have to be true. And I can know it's a lie. But I can honestly get up and go, well, it says it right here, right? And we were talking about the moral conflict for a Christian that should be inside of us to not participate like that while the rest of the world is participating in saying whatever they want it to say. Now, here's, here's what I want to do. I'm going to break this down real quick. Because this right here would, would, would make you go, okay, so men can't have long hair. But we know that that's not the case. Look at Samson. Samson had long hair. In fact, the whole problem was that Delilah was cutting his hair. 
So what is it that Paul is laying out? It's all right up here in this word nature, right? Inside of this word nature. It is, in the Greek, this is by extension what is a native disposition. And what Paul is saying that is that when we look at things in the natural, there is, based on our culture, right, the, the, the civilization that we live in, right, the world around us, and our understanding of Scripture, there is something intuitive that speaks to us, right? And so at the time of Samson, having long hair, it was not a big deal. Here we are in the, writing to the church in Corinth, and he says, look, you know that when you see a man with long hair, right, he is not looking, he is not identifying as he should, just as a woman who has long hair, uh, who does not have long hair, is not looking the part. Now, I say looking the part. It's, it's, a, it's more complicated than that, but it's this idea of looking at somebody and being able to tell who they are and what they stand for. And that's the argument that Paul's making, is that you should be able to identify yourself as a son or a daughter of God. Now, culturally, that's going to look different in different parts of the world, right? And so Paul says, he's talking to them, and he says, look, when a man is not acting as a man, he is missing what God has for him. Just as when a woman is not acting as a woman, she is missing what God has for her. This is not some type of thing that's saying like, well, men, if you have long hair, you can't be a Christian, right? But that becomes the argument of people who will say, well, the sexual immorality argument just, it falls flat because of a verse like this, and, and it just doesn't. It's not the context of the scripture. Now, what does this tell us? The world is crazy. The world is crazy at this time for Paul, and it is crazy at this time for you and I. Verse 2, right? So all that time we got through verse 1. How do you guys feel about that? It's pretty good, right? We'll, we'll be here. I got 12 more to go. I don't even know what time it is. Yeah, all right. We might need to order lunch. And you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. This word arrogant in the Greek means to make proud. So he says to the church, sexual immorality is among you. Specifically, this guy has taken his father's wife. And you are what? You are proud of this. Right? Proud of what? And this is something to really kind of... Think about, were they proud of the act? Certainly not. Certainly they're not proud of the act. No, they are probably proud of the fact that they are accepting of this individual. Look, you know, we're here to reach sinners and to love the lost. And, you know, yes, this guy has been in the church, and yes, he is a brother, he is a follower of Christ, but he's walking through this thing, and we just, we're going to love him anyway. And Paul says that, that you are proud of this, this acceptance, this, that he's among you, but he says, ought you not rather to mourn? What, what's the heart condition going on inside of the church? What's the heart condition going on inside of the church in the United States right now, around the world, right? Like, like what it, when, when we see somebody in the church, 
living in a way that they have to spend a tremendous amount of time redefining words and changing context to create some type of acceptance, do we go, oh man, we're just, we're just thankful they're here? Or are our hearts grieved by the act? And Paul, Paul writing here, he says, he says you, you should be mourning. There should be, this should hurt. This isn't something to be excited about, right? And he goes on, he says, let him who has done this be removed from among you, right? So this is, an, this is an interesting part of this text here. He says, for though absent in body, I am present in spirit. So this is one of those things that confuses a, a, a lot of people and not, I'm not even going to lie, like there's, there's a lot of divide in uh, commentaries on exactly what is being communicated here. And I don't have this like, hey, surefire answer to what Paul is trying to say here. But I think that the key is found back in verse 1. Remember I said that he said actually reported, right? So it's being spread everywhere. And the idea here, okay, would be that this word spirit is the same Greek word, okay, that we see when we're talking about the Holy Spirit. The difference is that there is not an understanding of individual consciousness, right? So, when we see the Holy Spirit, it, ha- it's, it has its own understanding, right? But when we see this word spirit used in this lowercase form for us, right, there's not this, this implication that it is sentient and aware of what's going on. So most likely what's happening is, is Paul is saying that because I care about you, that I am listening to what is being said. I'm invested, Right? So he says that though I'm not physically there, I'm there in spirit, right? Because I care about you. I care enough about you to write to you and tell you, hey, this is broken. Right? I love you enough to be the bad guy and go, this isn't working. What's going on is sin before God. And so I'm listening, and I'm involved in it. He says here in verse 4, When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus. He says, you are to, what? Deliver this man to Satan. For what? The destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Now this, this seems really harsh, right? Right? He says that you're to do what? You're, deliver, you're to deliver him to Satan. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, what would that look like, right? To deliver somebody over to Satan? And, and honestly, if we stop and pause and we begin to try to think of examples, right? Our mind begins to race because of how we understand the nature of God, Right? Okay, the nature of God paralleled with our understanding, and we would think something's not right to to give them over to Satan. But thankfully, we have an example. Luke chapter 22, Jesus speaking with Peter says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. What does Jesus say? Jesus says that Satan's demanded you, I'm giving you to him. I'm handing you over. Now, I have prayed for you, right, that your faith will remain strong, that you, that you may not fail. 
But look at what he says. And when you have turned again. What does that mean when you have turned again? Something is wrong in Peter's life at this point. And, 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 and the reality is Peter sees himself as more than he is. Peter lacks humility. And it is specifically this giving over to Satan that creates such a change in Peter's life that, that in Acts chapter 2, that man stands up when the Holy Spirit falls down and he says, hey, these are not drunk like you suppose, but they are filled with the Holy Spirit because the Spirit of God has been poured out on, on, on all flesh. He begins to talk about the prophet Joel and he begins to give insight, right? He is a different man. He continues to wrestle with his own nature, right? Because at one point, he ends up getting up from the table when the Jews show up because he doesn't want to be seen living that way. Paul comes and rebukes him. What does Peter do? Peter repents. Peter receives it. There is something different about him. What? He has turned again. So there's incredible, this, is, this seems harsh, like uh, give him over to Satan, right? But he's given over to Satan because it saves him. Because let me tell you something about the slave master, the taskmaster. He's not your friend, right? And once you have tasted of the goodness of God and you have walked in his presence, right? And you end up eating the slop from the pig trough, it doesn't take much for you to go, oh, no, 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 no. There's better than this. So the truth is, it might be harsh, but we have example after example in Scripture of what it looks like to leave the relationship with God to turn back to Him because the world is not an easy place. And Peter is one that experiences this. We go back to chapter 5, verse 6. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump, right? So they're proud and they're boasting. Right? They've got their little banner on the street corner going, we accept incestual relationships. Come on down. And he says, it's not good. This is, this is, not, this is not what the church is to look like. And he says this, he says, do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? So what is leaven? This means to ferment, okay? All right, so you take the dough, you add just a, a little bit of fermentation, and it allows it to rise, and we get the bread that we enjoy, right? Okay? But what happens is that just a little bit of that fermentation, it spreads through the whole thing. It made me think of the movie Hot Rod, right? Uh, maybe you haven't seen this. Don't watch it if you haven't, because you'll judge me, I'm sure. But they're all introducing themselves, right? And he's like, you know, hey, my name's Jim, and I like to party, right? And then the next person around the corner, you know, they introduce themselves, and it's Brett. And Brett's like, hey, my name's Brett, and I like to party. And it's like, no, 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 I like to party. I know for a fact you don't like to party, right? That's not what they're talking about with a little fermentation in this, okay? They're not talking about making some, some alcohol and having a good time. They're talking about, he's talking about the fact that this destroys you. It's, it's something that's uncontrollable. And watch what he says. He says, clean out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. 
Why are you unleavened? For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. I mean, Paul's pretty passionate about this stuff. And he says, look, you, you've, got to, you've got to cut this out so that you can be what you were created to be. And it's easy, let me tell you, it is easy for us to say that the mission of the church is to share the gospel with the lost, that they would be saved. Right? But a church that is poisoned by the leaven, by the fermentation process, is not able to do that. And so instead of seeing lives transformed from the outside coming in, instead what we see is the inside being transformed by those on the outside coming in. Verse 8 let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, okay, right? But with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. What is malice? Malice, that's what is bad. So there has to be something that's bad, right? And, and, and again, like we live in a culture that's, that really wants to push acceptance of all things. At, at some point, something has to not be okay, right? Like we just keep moving the line a little bit further, right? So at what point do we go, that's not okay, right? At, at, at what point do we go, that is bad, right? Malice, and then what is evil? This is wickedness. This is iniquities, right? He says, don't, don't allow the leaven to do this to you, okay? You need to be filled with sincerity and truth. Where does sincerity and truth come from? It does not come from your personal um, uh, uh, reflection on the world, but it comes from God. Sincerity and truth is given to us through the word, and we, we look to apply God's word to our lives, not our lives to the word. Verse 9, and, and, and look at this. He says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. So he's giving some context on his first letter. And I think that Jim McClain, I think, touched on this in one of his messages. But we're in 1 Corinthians, right? But he's referencing previous letters. There are, most scholars would argue there are at least two letters that we have lost that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. The 1 Corinthians is certainly not the first letter because of Paul's references, like here, to previous, our previous writing that he sent over, right? And so, what does he say? He says, I, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. And, he, and so he wants to bring some context here. He says, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world. This is amazing, right? This is, this is what we needed in this, in this, in this uh, teaching here, right? We needed to be able to get real clarity that this expectation of not living this way and not being okay with it, th this is not the expectation that's on the world, right? You know, they, 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 the, the, the song, Haters Gonna Hate, right? I, I like to joke and go, Sinner's Gonna Sin, Right? Right? Why would I expect somebody who doesn't know God to act like they know God? Why would I ex expect somebody who's lost to live like they're saved? Right? It's not an expectation that I put on them. It's like, oh, well, they're going to act like a Christian even though they don't accept Christ. No, that's not the case. And so he says, like, I'm not telling you that you don't go out and do life around people like this. So this is not like, oh, man, you don't live like I live. You've got to get lost. Right? No. 
Go outside into the world, share the gospel, and love people where they're at, right? But we have to look different on the inside. We can't look just like it is out there. Several years ago, I was at a John Maxwell leadership event, and I've shared this before, but it's pretty mind-blowing. And, and uh, we had, there were people from all over the world, every religion that were a part of this thing. It's not a Christian-based thing. Even though John Maxwell was a pastor for a very long time, his leadership stuff now is, is it's worldwide. And so uh, Carmen and I were eating lunch. We sat down, and, and, and our own kind of, I guess, prejudices, uh, a man sat down, and he told us that he was from Pakistan. And immediately, I'm thinking in my mind, is he, is he Muslim? right? Which is fine, because what I'm trying to think is, how can I share the gospel, right? And so I introduced myself. I'm having a conversation. Turns out he is not a Muslim. He is a Christian. And so I'm now moving from sharing the gospel to, how, do you, how are you a Christian in the area? And this is what he told me. He said that uh, the week before he left to come to the States for this conference, there had been a uh, suicide bomber in their church uh, that had come in and that uh, you know, a couple dozen people were killed in the explosion. And I said, does that cause the church to collapse? People are afraid to show up. He said, we grew by 300 the next Sunday. I was like, you grew by 300? Yeah, we grew by 300. And then he begins to tell me about the church that he's in that's exploding by the thousands, and they're planting campuses everywhere. And you're thinking to yourself, like, whoa, 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 whoa. The media doesn't tell me that, Right? That's what's going on in your mind. That's not what I'm being told. And he's like, he's sitting here and he's explaining. He said, here's how it works. Here's how it works. People are starving. They don't have food. So what we do is we go and we buy loads of groceries and we go up and we know that, they're, that they don't believe in Jesus and that if they see us coming and they know that we're Christians, they're going to beat us and try to kill us. So in the middle of the night while they're asleep, we grab tons of groceries, we put them on their front porch with a note that says we love you we're praying for you in the name of Jesus such and such church and then that night when they went to bed they prayed to Allah through Muhammad for food because they're tired of starving they're tired of not having enough and they wake up in the morning and Jesus met them on their front doorstep and they come running into the church wanting to know Jesus why because they're not trying to make a safe place for the world to come into right? I mean, they really are, but not on the world's terms. They're trying to create an environment that leads people to Jesus. Man! And you think to yourself, like, well, that's, you know, let's just do that, right? And in their culture, it works. And in our culture, man, it it is a fight. I I promise you, every time I preach a message like this, I, I get a phone call or an email or I get a phone tag where somebody calls one of you and one of you says so-and-so is mad because you said something that's really offensive and their family member so-and-so doesn't like this and they live in a different plane of existence, not even in Savannah, but what you said was offensive. And and then, you know, people leave the church, people are angry, and and that's what I wrestle with. I, I, I wrestle with that before I can... with the the constant demand from the outside that we look more like the outside. And I just got to say, man, we can be filled with love and graciousness and peace, and we can love the world outside, but, man, we cannot look like the world. It just can't happen. It just just isn't what's going to lead people to Jesus. He says, 
not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world, right? The greedy and swindlers or idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. In order to not associate with them, you'd have to leave the world, right? So you, you, you are going to do life around people like this. He says, but now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother. If he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed, is an idolater, reveler, drunkard, swindler, not even to eat with such a one. So, I'm not talking about the people outside. I'm talking about the ones that sit in here and call themselves brother. What does that mean, right? Well, this is a member of the same religious community. That's what it means. That, that somebody who goes, yeah, this is my church. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? I love that he pauses on this. There are times where I think, man, I wish Paul would have gone into a little bit more detail. This is one of those moments where I'm glad that he did, right? Is it not those inside the church, inside the church whom you are to judge, right? It, we're not to be judging what's going on out there, right? We've got to focus on what's going on in here, and then we've got to be out there. And we've got to love people where they're at. And we've got to listen to their crazy ideas and their bad theology and, you know, so-and-so's YouTube channel that says that that's not actually what the Bible says because, you know, they read a post somewhere. I mean, do we not have these conversations, right? Maybe you don't, but I, I, I get a lot of them, right? Or they're like, well, that's not actually what the Bible says. And I'm like, oh, it's, oh okay, well, let's just pull it out. I've got an, an interlinear, which has the Greek next to the English. It breaks down the definitions of every word. What is it saying exactly, right? Just, you can help me out. And here's a, com here's a list of commentaries that run parallel as well, like, 20 of them, and it turns out that from almost every denomination, every major commentary reads that this is exactly what it says, but, but the guy from the community college told you that, that didn't even finish, that it means something different, right? And what I would say in my argument to that is, and I, I heard a, an Episcopalian uh, priest tell me this one time, which blew my mind, he was like, hey, if we've been getting it wrong for 2,000 years, that makes Jesus a really terrible pastor. Because Jesus is the pastor of the church. He's the great shepherd. And so if he hasn't been able to, to create consistency and lead us for 2,000 years, we got problems. So all these new ideas and new revelations, you know, all this new interpretation, that doesn't, that doesn't speak well to the Son of God. Verse 13 here, wrapping up, God judges those outside. It's not, our, it's not for us to judge. But he says, purge the evil person from among you. Now, purge here is not like the movie. We're not going to have one night a year where we go after everybody in the church, okay? All right? <laughs> I know some of you are thinking, well, why not? You know, um, lots of reasons. Purge here means something different. It literally means do not associate. And that's hard, right? Now, I'll end with these thoughts. The idea of purging somebody here, Scripture gives us a lot of additional context and a lot of additional information. This is the very last thing that you do, right? Okay? This is not the thing. It's like, whoa, I saw you steal a can of bean dip. You're done. We're excommunicating you, right? 
it's the one thing that I stole when I was a kid was a can of bean dip, right? And I've lived with this guilt uh, all these years. 59 cents, man, my soul. Um, <laughs> but that's not the picture here, right? So here's what you do, right? So if you take notes, I want you to, I want you to look at this for just a moment, okay? First thing that you need to do when we are talking about people who call themselves brothers and sisters, approach in love. Approach in love. Go to them and say, hey, listen, let me tell you what the scripture says. Let me tell you what the church believes. And I really want to challenge you to make a change, right? You call yourself a believer. I do think that you're a believer. I do think that you love the Lord. And I want to challenge you, right, to make a change here. And in love is how can I help, right? The second thing you need to be doing is pray for repentance, right? Approach in love. Listen, I know a lot of people go, I hate conflict. I don't want to deal with conflict. Let me tell you, as a child of God, right, if you love people, you're going to, deal, you're going to, you're going to have to deal with some conflict. It's just the reality of it, right? I love my kids. I don't let them go and, you know, uh, when there's a double red flag at the beach, I don't go, yeah, I'll go swimming. I'm going to be back at the house playing video games. You know what I'm saying? No, 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 no. I love them. I engage in the conversation. You can't get in the water right now. You can't play in the highway. You, you can't do these things. This is not good for you, right? I need to be able to do that, right, with the people that I am doing life with. Pray for repentance, especially if they go, oh, I don't know. I don't know if I believe that or I don't know if I'm into all that. Be in prayer, right? And maybe that praying for repentance even requires some fasting on your part, right? Then if you don't see a change, go to church leadership right? You don't have to be the one that has to feel the weight of purging somebody out, right? Excommunicating. Go to church leadership. And we have a whole, as, as church leaders, scripture gives us an entire process ourselves of how we navigate those who are in sin and are not walking the way that Christ has called them to, right? And then what do you do? Continue to pray. I, I just want to make this point. Prayer is the most important thing you can do. It's the most important thing you can do because you need to understand that the person who calls themselves a Christian and is walking in sin has an enemy that is full-on waging war. Paul says we wrestle not with flesh and blood but against principalities. So when people who call themselves a Christians are sitting in front of you and they are saying crazy stuff, they are hearing it from a crazy enemy in a crazy world and the only thing that destroys and pushes back that enemy is prayer. So there's nothing you can do that will do more good in their life than be praying. Then be praying. And I want to just tell you this, as a pastor, it is near impossible. It is near impossible if you will follow Scripture to get to a point where you tell somebody that they can't be here. Because they will leave. You go to them and go, hey, listen, you're doing this thing. I love you. This is sin. I, I really want to see you make a change. Some people and they'll keep pushing, but as soon as you go with an elder of the church, and it, I'm going to tell you, it's radically different today than it was at this time, right? There was the church of Corinth. There wasn't 67 churches in Corinth, right? So what do we do today, right? We get uncomfortable in a church because of what's being taught, and then somebody says, hey, this might be sin in your life. They just, we just hop to the next church, right? And then we get on social media, and we just make up stuff. Right? I, I, people do that, and I'll get sent social media posts about me kind of in like, like, I had a pastor who blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, it's like writing fiction. Like, that never even happened. 
It's just a reality of it. So getting to the place where, where, where you even would say, hey, you can't be here, right? I've only ever had that happen kind of close one time with a really stubborn person, and uh, they ended up leaving. So this isn't like we have a list of everybody we've excommunicated. If people love sin more than God, they're going to choose sin. And we're going to resist sin, right? And that goes for me too. Like my, the elders at this church, they have, they know, they know, they know that if they see something in my life, they are absolutely welcome to, to, to call me out on it, right? I don't, I don't want to be a bad leader. Amen? Amen. Well, listen, if you enjoyed today, next week, we'll go even further into the sexual immorality conversation. And then we'll break free from it for a minute. So let's stand to our feet. I want to pray with you, give you an opportunity to respond. Jesus is king. He is alive. Amen. Come on. All right. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for your word. I thank you that your word resonates truth and conviction in our lives. Lord, let us be a church that is filled with love. Let it be said that no church in this area loves its community more than we do. And let it be said, not just because we serve them, but because we are a reflection of who you are in these seats. Help us to love each other well, to walk well, to walk in right standing, and to be the community you've called us to be. Lord, I pray this week, as we are preparing to do our food bank on Saturday, Father, that um, you will help the word to get to those that are in need. Lord, that they, will, that they will remember the morning of, that there are resources that are being made available to them. And I pray, Lord, that with every bag of groceries that we put into somebody's hands, that it would be a genuine reflection of your love for them. I pray that people would come to know you, serve you. And uh, I, just, I just pray for our whole world right now filled with so much information and, 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 and different stories and just chaos, Father, that, that you would break through all of that and that your word would resonate among the uh, believers and into the communities around them. We love you and praise you in your mighty name. Amen.